0: Sugars, I mean, really great show today. Kind of one of, just one of those reasons why I love, I love to get to do the Dear Maddie when it just is a show that's so easy to do with this. This is with a comedian, um, a television producer, Adam Caton-Holland, who's also now a writer. Adam wrote a book called Tragedy Plus Time, which I originally, when I heard the title, I loved it because of, that is a quote often attributed with Carol Burnett but also by other people. We're going to talk about that in the show. But I just, I love that idea because a lot of things that are, things I laugh about in my life now are things that were horrifically, not horrifically, that's being dramatic, Matt, G's, Louise. but still were not the most fun things in my life, but now are things that I can laugh about. Or even my family, we can laugh about. So that was why I was interested in talking to him and then, then I read his book, or and man, this is such a beautiful, beautiful memoir to his sister. Uh, I am going to give a trigger warning to people. This show does uh, contain um, a discussion about suicide. So if that's something that is triggering to you for right now in your life, maybe you want to come back to the show at a different time. Adam, though, does such a beautiful job of sharing the memory of who his sister Lydia was. I feel like I know her. And this book, again, it makes... I just related to it so much. It it definitely... um, It sounds so cliche, but it's in my head, so I'm going to say it. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you still think of this woman that I've never met who now I feel like I know. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope that maybe it gives you a little bit of... uh, Hope if you're going through the grieving process, no matter what that is, because grief is – man, grief is a tricky motherfucker, y'all. It, Grief is really, really uh, – it's so unique to everyone, and I don't think – a lot of uh, – this really goes for any mental health issues, but I think especially when talking about grief – there's really not a one-size-fits-all type of trick of, of getting through grief or getting into grief or how, leaning into it or leaning out of it, however you want to describe it. So I feel like that's just why it's important to have stories like Adam's on the show, and hopefully you all relate to that. If you do, let me know uh, on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, because you know I appreciate that. All right, everybody, without any further ado, the wonderful, the funny, the, the wonderfully human and heartfelt – Adam Caton-Holland. All right. Well, we are recording. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Maddie Show. I'm Matt Marr. Adam Caton. I'm going to say Clayton. It's not. It's Caton. Adam Caton-Holland. I'm a a little... You're kind of the most famous person I've ever had on my podcast.
1: Whoa. I have to
0: say, either you or Karamo from Queer Eye, but he was on my podcast when he wasn't famous. So you're more (laughs) like... Way more is that, but yes, everybody. Well, he, he is, and I have
1: that in common.
0: Yes, you're, and you're both handsome black men. <laughs> yep, sure exact. exactly. Exactly, um, they're not everybody, but you are handsome. Okay, so Adam, Caton, Holland, thank you so much for being on the show. Author, comedian, um, and you actually, you know, this show's gonna air on Thursday. And I'm actually, I have some plans, but I'm gonna try to go to your, I saw that you have a stand-up show in Los Angeles on Thursday, I'm gonna try to go.
1: Oh yeah, well actually it's not stand-up, it's like a book reading. Oh, it is? Um, yeah, it's at Skylight Books. So, not stand-up, but uh, related to the book. I I'll would, be funny. I'll that, be a little funny.
0: That makes me want to go even more. Um, uh, We'll see what I can do. But, um, so everybody, I'm already plugging you. Look at that, Adam. So everybody... it's <laughs> going great. I, I know. And I'm like, I have gay DD, Adam, so get ready. It's going to kind of be everywhere. I I know I'm a therapist, but I also don't have my shit together. Um, All right. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. You can cuss on my show, too. We, we're fine. Um great. But yeah, so everybody, Adam wrote a book called Tragedy Plus Time, and it's, I don't don't want to describe it as, I mean, you can describe it, but I mean, it's part, I mean, obviously it's about trigger warning for everybody. We're going to be talking about suicide today, so if that's something that's triggering for you or you're dealing with grief in that, this might be a show you listen to at a later date. Um, But it's, to me, first of all, I loved reading this book. Well, I didn't read it. I suggest if people... Your publicist gave me the book, but once I found out that you read the book, if you're into audiobooks, people, I highly recommend downloading the audiobook because I loved it. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, really, really loved So you describe this process of tragedy plus time, kind of what this book, I think you'll do better than I will.
1: I mean, yeah, as you, as you alluded to, it is a, a lot about suicide. It's a memoir about my family and growing up um, and a lot about my little sister, Lydia, who I was very close with and we kind of formed our senses of humor alongside one another. And she certainly informed, you know, my stand-up career a lot. And six years ago, she took her own life kind of right when things were going really great for me career wise. It was this very odd, you know, professional high and personal lower than low. And then the last six years have been a lot about grief and mourning and therapy and coping. And I wrote about all of that in this book.
0: Well, what? Okay, I'm trying, I'm looking at all my notes and I'm like, oh, where do I start? Um, There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, but I mean, no, because it really is, I think I just, first of all, the reason why when I got the email, they were like, hey, are you interested in having Adam on? Because, I mean, maybe you did it intentionally, but I mean, did you get the quote? Because I'm a huge Carol Burnett friend. So did you get the quote from Carol Burnett or did you... your own. You know what's funny is like
1: so many people claim that quote. Uh, they, people say Mark Twain said it. Oh, people he say, did. did. People say Carol Burnett said it. People say um, some other old talk show host said. It. I can't remember the name. Like uh, Steve Allen, maybe. So I don't know who came up with it. It's kind of one of those great uh, pop cultural gems that just sort of everyone lays claim to. But truthfully, it's boring. My my uh, lit agent came up with the idea, and I was like, that's great. <laughs> I just didn't have a uh, name for it. And he, he came up with that, and I thought it was perfect.
0: No, I think it is, too, because I feel like what – this book even reminded me – I'm a very big Carol Burnett fan. I've read all of her books, which they're really great. Right, actually, if you've never read her book, she has a book about her daughter who died of cancer, and it very much reminded me of this book. And Oh, uh, wow. I'd re- love to read that. I should read that. It is a fantastic book, and the, what the book is about, it's – it's her, it's back in the days where her and her daughter, Carrie were faxing each other letters. Cause Carrie was writing this screenplay. So it's just their conversation and what Carol was going on. But again, but even your writing style is similar to me where I'm just kind of at this, maybe cause I'm a comedian too, but it really is um, as a comedian um, we deal, we deal with loss with humor in our own way. And I think that sometimes throws people off. So When you were writing this book, was that, because you talk about that a little in the book, but was it, did you, were you scared to like make things, some things that seemed humorous to you or or make this book funny or was it just natural to do that or like, you know? Well, you know,
1: when she passed away, I didn't want to do comedy anymore. Like I didn't feel funny and I did certainly didn't feel like talking about what happened on stage. I just Mm -hmm. wasn't ready and I I didn't feel like that was the proper platform. But at the same time I felt compelled to digest it and, and talk about it in some way, shape or form. So I started writing about it and that kind of became the book years later. Um, But I also was very keenly aware of like, like I really loved my little sister and she was very unique and funny and weird. And so I really didn't want the book to just be this total downer about like, and this is how I lost my favorite person. I wanted to sort of celebrate and show that person because, you know, she died when she was 28 and the last two years of her life were looking back kind of a hellscape of watching a person lose their mind. Mm-hmm. But the first 26 were awesome mm-hmm. and funny and great. And so I, I, did, I wanted to have some of the light of Lydia's life as opposed to just the, the dark.
0: You got that so well, because even I finished listening to it, I think, on Friday. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, I've been thinking about Lydia as if it was somebody I knew.
1: This, I, I love that. That's great. Really,
0: I, this whole weekend, like I looked up, I wanted to see what she looked like. She's beautiful. She was beautiful, by the way.
1: Um, yeah, it's, thank you.
0: But I agree. it was just like, and because I even thought of it like I was looking through TiVo and like, I have a Firefly episode saved on my TiVo because I love Joss Whedon. And she was the thir- first person I thought of like a friend because you talk about <laughs> her
1: so much in the book. She would love that. I, I know she'd be so bummed about missing this new Buffy reboot. and Like she was a Joss Whedon fanatic.
0: Oh, I, I, see, I but so it's interesting now, like, and I think that she'll be somebody I think of. And so this is what I love about what you've done in this book is that you really humanized her. And I think. This, you also do, you know, because I'm a therapist, I worked at Trevor uh, Project, or I volunteered there, which is a suicide helpline for LGBTQ use. So I've dealt a lot with like talking about suicide and dealing with, and but also too, I feel like, I just don't feel, I know there's a lot of books and things out there, but I feel like grief is such a weird, indescribable thing. And it's so unique to each person. And yeah. I thought you did such a great job of describing honestly grief kind of how um and i'm trying to i didn't write notes on this i'm just remembering from the book but you talk about how like it it never really goes away and kind of what i got and tell me if i'm on the mark here but do you feel like i feel like a lot of times people say we get past grief and i came away from your book
1: thinking you don't get past grief is that how you feel about it
0: I do. Like I
1: told the publisher when we sold the book, I was like, if you guys are expecting some sort of clean landing where I'm like, and now I'm healed and that's how <laughs> I conquered it, this is, this is not the book for you. Because um, I'm only six years out and I'm still mourning and some days and months are better than others and some I, I get really sad and so mm-hmm. does my family and like, it's your sister, man. It's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah i mean like like i said i'm I'm far from an expert i've just got six years of extreme grief but all i wanted to do is write honestly about it because yeah i don't i feel like a lot of like grief writing is almost self-help in nature yeah and uh i I didn't want to do anything cheesy like that i just wanted to write what i went through uh honestly selfishly just for me to process it Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people are responding to it because it's not really clean you know, it's not there's a it's a messy situation. It's okay to feel messy. I think that's that's what people are responding to, that it's kinda like, oh, I feel like that and then the next day I feel different and that's totally normal and okay.
0: No, I think you know, it made you made me think of probably one of my favorite parts of the book and literally as I was listening to it just I mean tears rolling down my cheeks. But when you describe so beautifully where I don't remember I just read it, but I don't remember why you were in Malibu. I think you're, but you were in the ocean. That's that yeah, part. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And why were you in Malibu? I'm gonna, that's gonna bug me. Well, cause it was, I think that was the chapter, you know, after Lydia died, I had just, uh, I won't bore people with industry BS, but Oh, like, you
0: had a friend who invited you to Malibu. I remember that.
1: Right, I was in LA trying to sell a TV show 10 days after Lydia died, cause all that had been kind of set into place before she died, and my family was like, go see this through, don't blow this opportunity. I wound up selling the TV show, didn't really give a shit because I was too broken. And a nice friend from high school got gotten wind of what happened to me. It was just like, hey, I'm going out to my friend's beach house in Malibu if you just want to swim in the ocean. And it was such a nice gesture. I was like, yeah, I I guess I will. And so I think that's what you're referencing.
0: Yes. And I do want to talk about the juxtaposition of career and life in a minute too, but... I, you describe how you're, like, sitting in the ocean, and you talk about, like, your head kind of bobbing above the water and being this small person in this, like, in this sea of probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. And you talk about how you saw no beauty in it. And, like, I mean, it just, like, it it gutted me. It was so beautifully written. And also, I've been there in my life.
1: Yeah. and sure. and,
0: and so, like... When you go, and I know that you talk about some of this book, but I'm interested in your own process. Like, do you still go back in your grief process to that point of being in the water of not seeing the beauty? Or is that kind of progress where you are? I mean, you, I know you've gotten married to Katie and things like that. Do you see more of the beauty in things now? How do you kind of find it's,
1: beauty? I'm proud of how optimistic I've become. Like, Without getting too spiritual, like I've kind of- Oh, sugar, this
0: is this type of show, you do that (laughs) shit.
1: Well, I've come to this point where it's like, all right, so either we die and there's an afterlife and I get to be reconnected with my little sister. So why am I wasting my time on the planet being sad? Or we die, there's nothing at all. And this is just a little miracle that you even get a walk upright with conscious thought for a brief period. So why am I wasting my time being sad? I've kind of pre- I come to the conclusion that there's really no reason to do that. Uh, it'll be solved eventually. So and I, you know I've like I, my wife's pregnant. We're like six months pregnant. Oh,
0: congratulations!
1: Thank you. And I'm like cheesy, optimistic, and excited, and ready to be a dad and have my own family. And so it's like I got all my eggs in that basket. Like I get sad. I click into it all the time. I'm mm-hmm. a depressive type. The music, I, it's like just sad bastard music. That's all I listen to. <laughs> but um, but I'm, I'm actually pretty happy. Despite, I said to my older sister, like despite only watching sad things, reading sad things, listening to sad things, I'm actually a pretty happy person.
0: <laughs> that's good. The older sister, that's Anna, right? That's Anna, yeah. I totally, I, look, I literally feel like I'm friends with your family now from your book. You did such <laughs> a good job of describing your family. Thank um, you. If I was ever in Denver, I feel like oh, I should go see my friends. The um, but I, anyway, so that's how I feel. Um, so, something else that I feel. So let's talk a little bit about. So, you are. I mean, fast forward that you do. Uh, I think you're about to go in the uh, the third season of Those Who Can't. Right?
1: Yeah, it comes out later this year. Where it's it's all done and in the can. It comes out later this year. I don't know the exact date, but late 2018.
0: But True TV, right? Yep. And so, um, this I'm a, I'm a comedian. I'm a producer. I'm doing the same shit you're trying to do. So, sure, it's the um, same, hustle. same hustle. So, what is what struck me from this is that just not to, I, I read the book or listen to the book every because it's much better detail. But it, you were in this place of like after years of building kind of this comedy scene in Denver, which is still thriving, and you know going to the Montreal Comedy Festival, which is huge, and getting this huge feedback. You literally are at this point where people are like, come to LA and pitch this show. And literally, you're it, it was right after your sister died. And so, talking it like in a, in a like, since you brought it up, but in a spiritual way, like, and if it's not, that's cool too. I'm just interested, like, I don't know. I don't believe in, I'm not a coincidence person. I really don't believe in that. I kind of, maybe just because I choose that I want everything to have meaning because it just makes my life more interesting. Maybe there, it is all just fucking happenstance, but <laughs> sure. But for you, like when looking back on that now, obviously that was horrible when you're going through it. Cause I mean, you, you were, you were dealing with grief and having to put on this, like again, cause I know what it's like when you're Pitching as a comedian, it's not like you you have to put on, like, the happy... You have to entertain the whole time. It's exhausting. Oh,
1: yeah. You're selling yourself as much as the project.
0: Exactly. And so do you feel like, though, what did you learn? Like, just is... Do you feel like there was some type of, like... Was it chaos? Or was it... Do you feel like there was a reason for all that happening at the same time for you?
1: I mean, I don't... You know, I don't think one's like a... Tr- like, if I could change the situation and have Lydia back, oh, I'd obviously, away, yeah. I'd throw away every single career thing I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be a bus driver. I don't care. Like, um, no slight on bus driver. I just goddamn I just the bus driver on it. You audience. know what? My uh, dad's
0: a bus driver. This interview's done. Do uh, this <sighs> <you know. laughs> <It's> every time.
1: <laughs> it's fine. Uh, it's fine. No, but I do think, I mean, that show became a real cool... Project for me and my friends, and it was very much born out of like this Denver effort that we'd sustained for years and making sketch videos and really DIY success story. And I think, you know, when I was in there selling the thing, I genuinely didn't give a fuck if I sold it. And ironically, that's what Ellie, that's what Hollywood can't resist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Joe Cool coming in and be like, Do you want this thing? Because if not, I don't give a shit. It's awesome. You'd be dumb not to buy it. Mm-hmm. Like there's a sort of I don't know, mystique in that, that I think they responded to. I also think the show was good. So they were like, it's, it wasn't like I'm selling them crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think I, the mindset I was in of truly not caring helped move that forward, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know karmically or cosmically why that is, but it certainly helped. And now I've you know, pitched other things and it always helps to kind of just not be intimidated.
0: Yeah, I actually got that for myself. I was like, I should have a little bit no, no less fucks of going in the room.
1: I think so, because it's like, they're either going to buy it or they're not. You yeah. Know what I mean, I don't, I don't think there's too many instances where they're like, wow, we didn't think we were going to, but here we go. Unless you really, I don't know. I just, I don't find any reason to be intimidated by that. But also, you know, this happening when it happened gave me a much different perspective on life, like truly. I was like any young, hungry comic, like I lived and died by my last set. And Mm -hmm. to sell a TV show, you would think would be the biggest thing that I'd be, you know, that I'd be fulfilled. But in that time when like real life stuff happens to you, you realize that's all just kind of auxiliary, cool perks, but not what is important. And that's why I didn't move to LA. And that's why I'm focusing on being a dad. And like, you know, it's just like, it's real life shit that I've cherished much more than career stuff.
0: You always have to, I always tell with like actors that I counsel and things like that, just please put more, do more things besides acting like continue it, but do cause you're right. I, I, you know, my, uh, I was busy like working on a theater show and just recently like, you know, I've got a reality show based on my brother. Like, we've been pitching it out. We've got big agencies, all that. And it seems like everything's go, go, go. And then you find, you know, a production company gets a new CEO and now we're starting all over from scratch.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, you know,
0: yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, my boyfriend, uh, he, we've been together for like four years, but it's kind of the first time he'd ever experienced that with me. And he was so just like, oh, babe, I'm so sorry. And like, kind of down, I was like, I said, like, you know, I'll give myself like tonight to be pissed about it. But I was work. I had to work on other stuff. And then the next morning I found out my favorite aunt uh, had cancer. And I just told him, I was like, this is why this shit doesn't fucking matter. It's really right. truly about your family and like the friends and the lives that you lead and fulfill your life. And the other stuff is just like I think you said earlier, the miracles that were here. And that's just selling a show, doing basically getting paid to do dick jokes is just icing on the cake.
1: Yeah, I mean it's cool. We all want it. It's fun. I laugh harder than I've ever laughed working on that TV show. But yeah, if you got, if that's all you got, you and, and especially LA, it makes you, it, it, you know, beats you down. It's like it yeah. makes you feel real irrelevant if you haven't done something lately. And it's like, no, there's a world out here besides the industry. Like I can't tell you how many times on set, you know, we'd have these like crisis moments, and the sky is falling, and we're so upset at the you know, executives and like. You just have to pull back and be like, you know there's about 5,000 shows just like this being made right now where everyone thinks their problems couldn't be any more severe. And it's like, pull back, like, zoom out. Zoom, yeah, zoom out.
0: That's so funny you said that. That's weird. I say that with my therapist. Like, I'll have ai I literally, I say, I call it zooming out. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that's funny. We're kindred spirits, Adam. That's what's happening. I um, think so. Um, well, okay, so now, what if, again, I love that this is just, it's not preach or anything. It's just about sharing your story. And something else that you talk a little bit about um is kind of that I think a lot of people don't feel comfortable or they feel bad talking about when they're talking about a, a member that is dealing with suicide or just death in general, but I think more suicide, but just kind of the anger that you had from Lydia's suicide and like how did and you know, In the book, you know, you're the one that found her, too. So there's even, there's a lot on that, piled on, a a lot of complexity. And um, how do you kind of, like, do you you still have bouts
1: of anger? Or do you feel like that's been resolved for you? It's been mostly resolved. I just am sad about it. I just miss her. Like, you know, there was a, a conclusion that I reached in the book that was pretty powerful. I didn't intend to. I almost found it in writing. But... I talk a lot about how Lydia was very empathetic, and she really was. She was the most empathetic person I've ever, I, I would call her an empath, uh-huh. you know, taking in stray animals, really feeling everyone's hurt in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. And it would absolutely destroy her to make her family hurt. She, if we were suffering or sad, it really bothered her. And if she was the cause of that, she was just devastated. So to think about where she had to be mentally, that she would knowingly inflict this like unending hurt on the family and yet still saw that as her only option just makes me sad that she was that so desperate a place, you know? And when you're that sad, it's pretty hard to be mad. It's mental illness that painted her into this corner that she went on to do the type of thing that she would hate to do the most, which is hurt us. And yet she still did. So when you reach that place, it's pretty hard to stay mad. That,
0: I'm just glad you brought that up because I meant to take a note during that, but that that made me cry because I think that part of the book, that was probably my favorite chapter, my favorite moment of the book because when you did describe that, I mean, that's what I try to work as, as a host, as a therapist, just even as a like a comedian and a creator. I'm always trying to like, and just as a, like a white guy in this world right now, I'm always trying to like, <laughs> how can I put myself in another person's shoes just to like see their experience, you know? And that, I think that's like the most human thing we can do is have empathy for one another. And to me, like that is the litmus test of true unconditional love is having that type of empathy. And when you wrote that in the book, that's what made me teary is that it was just such a beautiful expression of unconditional love. And I was just, I just, I just, I don't know if a lot of people get there, and the fact that you could, I thought, was—I mean, truly, that's a miracle to me.
1: Thank you. Well, it's you know, it's—I I need to just like you do a better job of it with strangers and people out there in society. It's people in traffic. Spot <laughs> on my on my sister. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I like obviously I relate to this person, love this person, but her her empathy is something I should learn from and like try to take with me as I. Go through life.
0: Mm, That's... that's. I love that. I can't tell people how much I enjoy this book. Um, I I could talk to you for two hours, but I'm not because we have... You've got shit to do. You're having a baby. But um, I do want to ask, kind of in switching a little bit of... I also thought, too, that, um, you know, again, people come to me with grief, like in therapy situations, and they're... uh, they're like, well, I was told I just need to like, I need to relive my grief and I just need to go through it again. But sometimes and sometimes that can be traumatizing for people, I think even more. But for you, really, it was EMDR that really kind of helped break you kind of open in that
1: way, right? It did. You know, I don't know. I I wrote about it a lot in the book and my family's, we're all pretty smart, <laughs> you know, and you like, are. Uh, so all of us went to therapists and I went to several before I landed on EMDR, which I thought was helpful. So I'm a big believer in therapy as you need it. Uh, And like I have two great therapists now, one that does EMDR, one that's a a couples therapist that my wife and I have used, you know, every six months or so, we'll just go have a healthy talk. And it's like, oh yeah. But both of those women are like, when you need me, I'm here. And I think that's a really good, place to be at.
0: That's what uh, I try to be
1: as a therapist too.
0: I don't want people to come to me every week.
1: Yeah you seem like you'd be a very a good therapist but I, I urge people to just sort of use it as they need it. For me it was a lot of like straight up PTSD like yeah you know nightmares flashbacks and mm-hmm. I couldn't control them and they were really bringing me down obviously so EMDR was I'm a huge believer in that therapy, and uh, it helped me a lot.
0: Well, EMDR works well too with anxiety, and it. I mean, I'm not diagnosing you, but just from the book, it seems like. I mean, you talk about panic attacks, so you already were prone to anxiety. Oh, sure, anxiety, well.
1: OCD. Yeah. I, I had it all.
0: Yeah. So, uh, has it helped? Do you, are, How? How is your OCD? Because again, you do such a good description sometimes of describing you know, the little things you have to do. Do you still,
1: are you turning off the oven still? Uh, oh, we moved houses, but yeah. <laughs> <A> different, <laughs> different, different nighttime system. Um,
0: but I do it I with windows, because we're on the second floor. I'm always, I don't know why, but I like have a fear someone's gonna climb up and so I'm always shutting the windows.
1: Yeah. So I get I mean, it. That's just good. House. That's just good safety. Yeah. I, I, I lock the doors, I shut the curtains, I check the windows, check the stove. But, you know, I don't think every person's out there turning knobs in their house every single night. Oh, I'm fully here to support your OCD, sugar, because I'm there with you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's gotten better. I think it's gotten to a point where, like, the things I do can be reasonable. But, you know, the thing, like, I was at a baseball game and I dropped a peanut and then I dropped a second peanut. I just, like, don't. I do that. I can't not do that. Um, that one's stuck with me. That one's there's no way to really logically describe no, that.
0: I get that. I get that. Yeah. I'm that way. Like if I purpose, if I accidentally realize I like step on a on a crack, I have to do it with the other foot, where I feel weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I still got those those things.
0: Okay, one more thing, and then we'll get to Chatty Maddie, because um, I I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to. Kind of, this is an advice podcast and just, and I know you're not an ex, you're not an ex, I'm a narrative therapist. So we believe people are experts of their own life, of their own story. And we kind of look at depression and things as characters or grief as a character in someone's life. And so it's always looking at When is the when is grief necessarily writing your story instead of Adam writing the story, and how do your relationship with those things? But so I say that, and that just to put out for people, I don't want you to feel pressure that I'm asking for expert advice. I really just kind of want your take from your story. Is that you talk about things like um, because I've gotten a lot of these questions about somebody being worried about someone who is potentially suicidal and things like that. And you talk about like Lydia changing her screen name and how could y'all not have known. And you also talk about a lot of which I think is important uh, for people that are going through someone who is suicidality uh, is that just the exhaustion you get with someone dealing with depression and it's exhausting supporting that person um, in that process. So what kind of, what What is some, some advice that you would give to someone that is kind of going through a situation that you went through with a loved one who's going through depression and or suicidality?
1: I mean, I tried to write about that earnestly. like You did. That it's okay to be frustrated with that person, that that's normal. I think when we just paint it two, two dimensionally in the shades of like the suffering person and the person who wasn't there enough for them, yeah. it's like it's not that black and white. The suffering person can suffer for years and it's exhausting and taxing on your relationship with them. Um, but it's part of the relationship. So I, I, I would I always say do more and don't be ashamed for being frustrated or pissed or angry with that person because it's an infuriating experience. Um, but I always say do more <laughs> like I wish I had done more. I did everything I could think to do and I still wish I had done more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I I agree with that. I think, too, it's like that we get this, it's okay. This is something my boyfriend and I even talking about. It's just when one of us upsets the other one to just, we forget as humans we can have, we can hold both emotions where I can say, I'm furious at you and I'm really pissed at you and I love you more than anything. <laughs> totally. Like those both things, it's not a Disney movie.
1: It's not black and white. Um, it's also, you know, it destigmatizing this stuff is huge and like, we, it's cool if someone's working on their physical health eating well exercising we just pat them on the back if someone's working on their mental health they're like be hesitant to tell someone they're going to a therapist mm-hmm. and that's just gotta change yeah
0: agreed 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 um agreed um well okay we're gonna move on Chatty maddie, maddie but again for and i'll bring this up again and i'll put uh, in the show notes of the podcast, I'll be sure to put links, uh, I'll put it to your website, I'll put it, or anything else you tell me to do, but I'll definitely put it like to the link to the book in Amazon, um, Tragedy Plus Time. Again, I, I mean, I think this will be something that I'm going to recommend to people I know that are going through grief, because like I do that Carol Burnett book, it really is, I feel like, such one of the best kind of stories and dis- and human descriptions of the grief process, and... That's what's beautiful about telling your story is that other people, as you see, realize that they have a similar story and now you have this shared story with all these people that connect with you. It's beautiful.
1: Thank you, that's really cool. I, I hope it helps people.
0: It Well, it already is. So, Tragedy Plus Time, everybody. Be sure to check the book out. And so, um, okay, Adam, the most famous person I've ever had on my podcast.
1: It's time Separate for that. who's way bigger, but also, <laughs> yes, I'm a gay black man.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, Chatty made a question. questions. Chatty Maddie number one. I'm so interested in this question because I know your I feel like I know your life now. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop and interrupt myself because I want to say two to people. When you're reading this book, like the first, like fourth of it, are a lot of stories about your childhood. And I thought it was entertaining, but I knew what the book was about. And so I was kind of like, wait a minute, this is what I loved about this book. When are we gonna talk about kind of the suicide and all that happening because that's what i thought the book would be about uh-huh. and so i was a little bit in the first i was like okay adam come on get to it but you yeah. do such a fucking good job of it, it reminds me of improv where nothing is wasted in this book and everything that i had read in the first like first quarter of this book it just connected so well Again, like I'm from Oklahoma, I don't think I'm ever going to be able when I go back home and like that calm, that moment you described before the tornado. I'm going to oh, remember man. anytime I'm in a thunderstorm. I think I'm going to think of your family now, and so <laughs> I just want to tell people though that like I just that nothing is fucking wasted in this book. So it's just, I just love it. It's really really thank good. You. No,
1: that's really thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Um, Okay, so Chatty Maddie, sorry, Gay D D Adam, you're you're living it. Um, Chatty Maddie, number one, what is your most memorable childhood smell?
1: Oh wow, (laughs) you know what this is gonna be? Oh man, well hopefully my parents don't hear this one. Uh, Cat piss. (laughs) (laughs) We had like so many damn cats. My my mom worked at the zoo, and like we had we had a house full of animals. And my dad is allergic to cats, and we had five cats, so that tells you something about our household. Um, <laughs> and like one or two of them would like pee in the radiator, so it's like the whole house. Oh
0: my God.
1: Like, yeah, like cat piss, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when you smell it, that's why I ask memorable. It's not necessarily everybody's favorite, but you can't help but think of your childhood, Dad. Yeah, I didn't
1: grow up in squalors, a nice old house, nice art, nice carpets, but yeah, cat piss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, uh Chatty Maddie, and may, I may—I really—you already answered this question. I should have thought of something else. But Chatty Maddie number two is what would be the name of your memoir? But, but, but my question, actually, following that up, is this? I feel like more. This is kind of your memoir with you and Lydia. So, like, do you feel like if the title of your own story would be different, or is it Tragedy Plus Time?
1: No, I think my own one would be different. I don't know what it would be. You know, this—I got a lot out on this one. I. Uh, like five, six years ago I wrote a book that never went anywhere, and I called it To My Future Biographers, and it was a very tongue-in-cheek, like, I'm, I'm clearly going to be so important a person that people are gonna wanna write a biography about me. Uh-huh. So here are the notes for them when they finally get around to doing it. So uh, I guess it'd still be that, it'd be a tongue-in-cheek, aren't I important to my future biographers.
0: All right, I'm down with it. Um, okay, Chatty Matty number three, uh, what, De- oh, well, let's do, uh, what is the best piece of advice that you wished you had taken
1: earlier in life? Mm, man, um, I think it's kind of the advice that I was just, well, an older comic told me the success to, easy way to be successful in comedy is be funny and be cool, and I, <laughs> that's it, and I, like, I can't tell you how many times I like wringed my hands in a green room around a famous comic and tried to like you know, say something funny or ingratiate myself. And it's just like, oh, kid, you were trying way too hard. So, uh, be funny, be cool. I, I will take that advice.
0: Cause sometimes I do need it. Um, okay. Chatty Matty number four, uh, what day would be your groundhog day? So like, what do you have a day where you're like, fuck, I could do that day over and over
1: like wanting to, I mean, I obviously I had a terrible day that I was living over and over again exactly. that I had to you had to, yeah you had so this away. is
0: a day you would that maybe you've had in your past that you would love that you would you're like that was a good day i could live that day over and over
1: okay i got it so i put out an album like six months ago with comedy central and like i got a james Corden late night set and it came together really last minute and so i flew out to la for 24 hours and i had this real whirlwind day of like hung out with my buddies, Ben and Andrew, who I do the TV show with, mm-hmm. took Andrew over to Comedy Central Radio, we did like an hour promoting my album and laughing and laughing, had a great lunch with Ben, saw a bunch of friends, did a great show in LA, went and did James Corden and crushed it, and was like meeting Jennifer Garner and John Boyega from Star Wars, it was like, what a crazy day. Did it, got out of there in time enough to, to, um, to catch an earlier flight home, my wife picked me up at the airport and I was like, that was the best day. Let's get a beer. Let's go get a beer at a bar near our house to celebrate. She's like, all right. So we like went, had a beer and I'm just riding high. And I was like, let's get another beer. And she's like, let's go home. And I was like, all right, you're right. It's like one o'clock and we go home and she had had a little baby onesie of the Colorado Rockies, my favorite team. And she's like, We're pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't think this day could Okay,
0: go. you win. That
1: is officially yeah. the best day I've ever heard on it was, this show. It was the best day. And I was I was telling her when we got the beer, I was like, baby, this is, like, one of the best days of my life. Like, I had so much fun today, and it was just this whirlwind. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, let's go home. And then she had, our, she had this – it was just perfect. I started crying. It was great. Ugh.
0: That's – that's – that's what's cool about the universe and, and horrible. It's just, just when you think things are shitty, the you know, things can get shittier. But at the same time, it's like with the depth of our sorrow equals the depth of our joy. You know,
1: with the things, yeah.
0: things come good. Things can get even better than we imagine.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, and it was just like we were talking about earlier. I was like all high on my own LA Hollywood bullshit. Best day of my life. And it's like, oh yeah, you think so? Well, think, here's a baby. Yeah.
0: This is something better. that
1: actually matters. Yeah. Like, it was, so, yeah, uh, I, that, that's a good day.
0: I, I okay. Last Chatty Maddy quiet. Uh, Chatty Maddy question: uh, When are you most inspired, Adam? When? Yeah. Either some people they say in life. Some people say time of day. Some people say they're inspired when something something happens. Some people say you know when I take a shower. Just it's like, I kind of keep it general to take it wherever you want, but. When or like
1: when does inspiration usually strike you Honestly, whenever I go to like an indie movie theater, like not a big suburban, air-conditioned, but like an art house movie theater, and I see a movie, and I, well, it's even before I see the movie, when I sit down in that chair, I'm like, "Why am I not always here? Why don't I do this five times a week? And then I watch like the previews and I watch the movie and I just get filled with ideas and inspiration. So like indie movie theaters.
0: I I agree with that. Um, I, you know, I had one of my very first podcasts. It was my, when I was taking class at the Groundlings, I had, I love my teacher so much. Her name's Colleen Smith. And I was like, come be on my podcast. And she said, she is most inspired. She said, at movie trailers, because I always see the possibilities of what we can create. I went, oh, that oh, was man. so, I love that. And so you just remind, I feel like you echoed that sentiment.
1: That's great. Yeah. I, whenever I sit down to my wife, I'm always just like, this is my happy place. Like I'm, I'm so good. My phone's in the car. I'm just tuned in. I'm paying attention. This is, yeah, I agree. I agree. Agree.
0: Um, well, everybody, if you're in the Los Angeles area, Thursday night, Skylight Books, Adam, Kate, and Holland, you can go see a reading from, I am mean, I'm reading Tragedy Plus Time. Do you know what I can, I'll put in there, I'll put in the link to tickets, but...
1: I don't remember what time it starts for people. I think it starts at 7.30 at Skylight Books, which is in Los Feliz. Yeah. My friend Dave Holmes is gonna moderate. It's gonna oh, be great. I love
0: Dave Holmes.
1: Yeah, he's awesome.
0: I know him from, cause I did I.O. West. Oh, sure, so, sure. And like Dave Holmes, we're like, there's like four gay improvisers. Yeah. <laughs> there's like four yeah. of us.
1: Well, you guys are, you know, you're a powerhouse out there. Yeah,
0: which I don't know if he remembers me, but I remember him. Um, I'm definitely gonna try, I. I I'm just going to I'm going to move things if I can. So I, hopefully I will be there. I'd love to meet you in person.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: And um to everybody else, uh, the links are in there. Adam Caton, Holland. Again, it's Keating, no L. Uh it's hyphenated cuz the Keating Hollands are very famous in Denver you all. They're they're a big <laughs> deal. They're a big fucking deal. And um all five of them cuz they're all five here. And Thank you. uh I love that. No, I definitely, like I said, I feel like I fucking know your family, dude. Um, but, um, so yeah, be sure to check out the book. The links are in the bio. You can go to Amazon. Again, if you're into audiobooks, I highly recommend, uh, I highly recommend just listening to it. Because it's, and I recommend that for you, actually, with the current, any book that's written by somebody, especially comedians, I always try to listen to it if I can. It's such a better experience to me.
1: It was fun to do, it was an interesting two days, but I was like, this story is so personal, I'm not letting anybody else read it out loud. No,
0: no, no way. No. Well, thank you so much for being here, I appreciate you, Adam, so much. And um, yeah, good luck, Um, congratulations to the baby, and hopefully I'll see you in a bit in LA. All
1: right, well thanks for having me, I enjoyed this.
0: Okay, great, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay, sounds good. Bye. Bye.
0: All right, sugar, so there you go. That is the show. If you're going to be in the Los Angeles area and going to Skylight Books in Los Feliz, um, I forget, is it Los Feliz or Los... La- I think people in L.A. say Los Feliz, actually, but it really should be pronounced Los Feliz. Yeah, but I'm supposed to say Los Feliz. That doesn't make sense. But if you're in Los Feliz, go to Skylight Books for reading for um, Adam's book. I think, actually, I will be there as well. So be sure to check that out. A new show's coming next week. Um... I'm just, you know, I'm keeping on trucking on, Sugars. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to get a little inspired of late. I've just started trying to do The artist Way again by Julie Cohen. I know I've talked about that book. I feel like if any of you, though, are just feeling kind of stuck, you don't even have to quote-unquote call yourself an artist. If you just feel stuck at your job or just kind of where to make a move in life, I feel like a lot of people are like that right now. And for me, I just feel I want to start some new projects, but kind of don't know where to start. And I feel... um, I get an idea and then maybe I judge it a little bit and it kind of blocks me. I feel that's it. I feel kind of a little bit of a writer's block, so to speak. So, you know, I just want to share artist Way. If any of you are doing it as well, let me know. Maybe we can support one another in the process. As you know, it's it's a very difficult. I freaking hate those morning pages, but I do them. But it is such a great tool to kind of unlock your potential, your your hope for your life, and your creativity. Alright, everybody. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to tweet out the show. If this really resonated with you or you feel like it helped somebody, share this with them on social media. And Sugars, you can always find me at the Matt Mar 2 ts 2 rs on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, hit me up and let me know how this show was for you. I love y'all and I'll see you next week. Bye.